This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox, and this is a bonus Father's Day episode from our series, Apparently, where we talk with artists about their art and parenthood. Billy Woods is a prolific rapper and writer. In the last year, Woods has released three solo albums, including his most recent release, Maps. He released it on his own Backwoods Studios record label. Aftermarket speakers in the saddle, beater, but they can't catch him. Binoculars today, peepers, wide tap, sound like Bruce Banton. Fire trap is the only exit where I'm standing. Cold lamping, best I got one eye on them guys, the other on a crumbling mansion. It's gonna get gentrified, I'm not trying to leave empty handed. Blue eyed white walkers in King's Landing. Just before releasing that album, he also put out his first children's book, A is for Anarchist, alongside artist Myra Musgrove. KXP's Dusty Henry spoke with Woods about the book and Woods' perspective of fatherhood. Woods first explained how the book came about. So during the pandemic, my daughter was maybe two and some change around this time. And she was in Canada at that time with her mother. And obviously a lot of restrictions about travel. I was living in New York City, so given that it was the epicenter of mortality for COVID, you know, I wasn't, she wasn't coming to visit me and I had to be very careful about going there and it was difficult to cross the border, et cetera. So I did a lot of FaceTime stuff with her and Google Meet, whatever. And so I was on a video chat and reading a book to her and the book was a very progressive alphabet book that she kept asking me to read again and again, and it kind of got a little bit, um, it was a little bit annoying, I don't know. For me, I found it a little bit too, uh, it was a little corny, just to be honest, for my personal taste. Also, it gets boring because your kids just want you to read the same thing over and over and over, and it's like, pick any other book. And so I just started changing the words a little bit and switching things around and making jokes, some of which obviously she couldn't get, but were entertaining me. <laughs> then I just thought, you know, some of those were pretty good. I started thinking about it, and then I said, okay, if this title is open, then that would be, once I thought of the title, I said, if this title is open, that would be worth considering. I talked about it with my friend Myra, Myra Musgrove, and she, she looked it up and said it was open, and from there, we just said, all right, let's do it. That's very relatable. Like, I have a daughter. She's like one and a half. And same thing. We read the same books like a hundred times. We've read this one probably a hundred times now, which yeah. is awesome. It's really great having this in the rotation now. As a parent, I feel like I got something out of it too. And like I read it before, I read it to her. And compared to all, all the other kids' books I read, it's a lot more like I got radical or hardcore feeling. Like when you're going from like, I don't know, give a mouse a cookie to is for <laughs> anarchists. But it really made me sit down with that and like, I was like, there's nothing in this book I disagree with, really. Like, why wouldn't I want to share this with my kid? And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious your perspective on that, like what what you're hoping in that way. Well, I really hope that it's something that um, I like art that can continue to reveal itself and bring new things to you as you grow as a person and just in life. I just thought it would be cool to have that type of book where it's like maybe when you were five it meant one thing and then you could still pick it up when you're 11 or 12 or 13 and be like this is interesting 
this is thought provoking in new ways that obviously you didn't see when you were five years old. And as an adult, I definitely thought, what is a book that I would both find entertaining to have for myself and would be more entertaining and interesting for me to read 20 times in a row to yeah. my kids? Thank you for that. <laughs> like, yeah. It's been really great for my wife and I, too. Yeah, it's just funny hearing her like go around the house saying anarchist, anarchist. Like, and it's great. And you know, it's not like she's not like she's totally grasping all the concepts quite yet. But like, it, it's just um, I don't know. It's it's great to have this kind of like start on these conversations. Like, you get like pretty existential in some like like P's for philosophy and Q for questions. Like, I love kind of planting that seed early instead of waiting. Like, well, we'll talk about big stuff later. Like, why not? Why not plant that seed now? When I was a kid, you know, my mother is not, um, she wasn't one for, like, baby talking or anything like that. She just kind of talked to us how she talked to us. And as children, we were always given books that were more sophisticated than our ages. And so there's some things I read, which then I read them again when I was older and obviously understood them more. But I always appreciated that my mother would be like, if you want to try to read anything, then you, you can Totally, and I, w- I was curious about that. Like, your your both your your mom was a, a professor and a writer, and your your dad was a. Uh, well, he was a professor until he was very active in the Zimbabwean liberation movement in, in in exile, and then when they came to power and Rhodesia became Zimbabwe, he went back and was part of the government. Mm. But before that, he was an academic. That's how he met my mother. Yeah, and so it's growing up in like a household of like academics and revolutionaries and what was that what was their parenting style like and what have you maybe like carried from oh man on the one hand my father was always very accessible to me and i felt very close to him he wasn't like a distant father figure and we did a lot of stuff together you know and he would take me my childhood was definitely part of it was he'd be like do you want to get in the car and then we might go deep into the rural areas or we might go somewhere to but later on in life I did realize it was kind of like you could do stuff with him that he was doing and sometimes there'd be special things for you that were he was doing because it was you but he wasn't the type to like it was my mom who would like take you to cricket practice it was my mom who would be like did you do your homework and then also when we were in Zimbabwe you know we had help domestic employee servants, whatever. So um, my parents' responsibilities were a little different. So, and my mother, my mother always worked, but again, in in Zimbabwe, we had a, a, you know, there was always someone home and didn't have to worry about being nanny or whatever, things like that. And I guess her parenting style was, she was maybe a little bit more of the authoritarian, disciplinarian, so you have A is for anarchist, the first in the book, right, obviously, and you you know, you know, have that line, like, you're already an anarchist, which was great. And then you have later, you have F is for fascism, and you talk about, you know, when your parents say, because I said so, that's fascism. Mm-hmm. It kind of made me think of, of, you know, Bell Hooks, All About Love. She talks about— Great, great book. Every man should read that book. I mean, everyone yeah. should just read that book. There's a chapter, I'm going to butcher it, but she talks about how kids don't really have rights— in our society and that, you know, the parent is kind of this authoritarian figure. I was kind of thinking about that with, you know, 
anarchist and fascism. I was curious what you think about that dynamic and how you navigate that as a, as a parrot. On the one hand, I think I'm probably the more, I don't want to say authoritarian, but yeah, of that, of, of the parent in my children's lives. But I also think that I try to, you know, like if my daughter and I are in an impasse, there are times where I'm like, you know, I try to do things where it's like you have the age. I want you to, you know, so let's say she's doing a tantrum, won't do a thing. I might be like, well, I'm just letting you know right now you're smart. I'm letting you know right now. You know me. If you keep doing this, what you're doing, we're going to pack up, we're going to leave here, and we're going to go to my house, and nobody's going to play with all these toys and hang out with your friends will be over and you'll be there. And so I'm just letting you know this is your opportunity to make a decision about what you want to do. Or you can go back to having a good time. Your friends are here. Everything could be good. So it's really up to you in this moment to make a decision. And then sometimes I'll cheat code it by being like, if she hesitates, I'll be like, okay, so it's decided then. You want to keep having fun with your friends or whatever. Yeah. That's the tr- that's the tricky stuff, right? Like, yeah. I've, again, our daughter's only a year and a half, so we're just kind of like, she's still just learning to grasp these concepts of like, no, and you don't want to, there's that hesitation of like, you don't want to be the, the authoritarian, but like sometimes you, it's also your role to like help guide them. Yes, of life. course. I mean, yeah. I, and everyone should do what they want, but definitely I feel like at some points I have to be like, I'm just helping you understand the way the world works at that point. You know, there's no point in sending you into the world at 17 or 18 or whatever age thinking that you can always have your way because to me, I haven't done you any favors at that point. Yeah. And you know, you just put out this album Maps with Kenny Siegel as well, which so much of it is about being on the road and especially, you know, coming out of pandemic and being on the road and seeing things maybe differently. How, how do you balance that with, with, with parenting? Imagine that's that's difficult. And, and then also just seeing the world, that's got to give you a different perspective. Like you talk about the good and the bad on this record. So I don't care how like being on the road, like how do you manage it and how does... Well, I be? think in, in terms of how the touring and traveling relates to parenting, it's definitely a challenge, you know, but I try to be also on FaceTime and whatever else. It's definitely a challenge, and it makes you appreciative when you are at home, I think. Another thing is sometimes it's crazy at at young ages to leave, and then you could come back two weeks later and, oh, he has a new word that he's saying. Mm -hmm. He can walk this much further. He also doesn't like this thing that you're trying to feed him that he liked two weeks ago, and instead he slaps it out of your hand very rudely when he's in his high chair, you know. So, yeah, just... That is, can also be sometimes both alarming and really cool because you see the leaps in development. And sometimes it's kind of sad because you're like, oh, I missed the in-between point here or there. You know? In both the book and on the album, you, you talk about death, like D is for die. And then on the album, uh, I listened to them for the first time on a plane, which just felt kind of perfect. Yeah, there's this, this final verse on the album on As the Crow Flies. You describe this moment where you're sort of in, in, in thought, seeing your, your kids playing in the jungle gym, and you're sort of thinking about your own mortality. And I was, I, I was crying on the plane listening to this verse. It just hit me so hard. And I think a lot of parents have those moments where you're just like, wow, like one day... I'm not going to be here or they're not going to be here and this is this is so finite. I'm in the park with the baby on the swings when it hits me crazy. 
climbing high and high on the jungle gym, running faster. Sometimes pushing other kids. Tears streaked, apologies, bald fist. It's a trip that this is something we did. I kiss her on the lips. I watch him grow, wondering how long I got to live. I guess I just kind of curious to hear like your perspective on like one like if you could talk about the inspiration of that verse and just like how you think about death or talk about death with your kids. Sure. So there has been a lot of death in my life. Death is a constant in the front or the back or the wings or under the stairs in almost all of my work, I think. My father's death when I was 11 years old was a pretty pivotal event in my life for a bunch of reasons. I mean, I talked to them about it the same way I talk to anybody else, really. I don't, I think uh, death is, there's no way to understand life without being aware of, cognizant of, and understanding death. And I think that having a child also definitely brings a completely different energy, even if you already knew it, it's, it's different. It's different to see the physical manifestation of both your hopes and dreams and a form of immortality and also of your very real and inescapable mortality. And for me or anyone who has a parent who's died, you also think about when are you going to exit this child's life and how are they going to move on without you? And what did your parent, you know, what did my father think when he was laying by the side of the road dying? You know, what was he thinking about your children, you know? Because that would be the crazy thing, you know? I mean, I, no matter how old they are, I'm sure you'd wish that you were going to be there for the next thing in their lives. And then, of course, being in charge of something that's so vulnerable is wild, that is part of you. Anything could happen to your child. And that is a crazy thing to think about because you can be careful, you can do all that, but there's no... Life is chaos. Anything can happen. And for me, that's about leaning into the moment, you know, which is what life is about, really. There might not be a next moment. You know, when my father died, I was the last person in my family to speak to him. And I was home from school, and he came in and had brought me, like, lunch, which was nice. And I took it. We exchanged a few words I don't even remember. And then he left and never came back. So, yeah, I think that's always in my mind. And it's both frightening and, to a certain extent, motivational. And perhaps, to some extent, liberating, you know? I got to do it now. Things I want to do, things that I need to say to people. Don't, don't think that you can just wait and then it's going to happen, you know? And um, even with like my art and everything that I done, I tried to, I tried to do it now because I, when I was eleven years old, I realized that like now is all you have is now, like the past has already happened and is gone, and the future is you may not see it. Thank you so much, Woods. I really appreciate. Great you. to be here, and those are really great questions. And thank you for copying the book. Shout out to my children and their mothers. I appreciate and love all of you. Ready to die, it's no biggie. No surprise, no pity. Lived a couple lives, go ahead and slide. Hope I take a couple with me. Made a couple dollars, it got tricky quickly. What you expect? 
Play stupid games, you fly easy jet. Brought a slob to you. That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.